All right. So have you guys been enjoying this series that we've been doing in Job? Been good? Helpful? Okay, two of you have been enjoying it, so that's good. Appreciate that. Uh, appreciate your honesty. The rest of you can just go back to sleep now. Um, so appreciate the, the band playing and doing their great job. Yeah, we've been working through Job here. We've got this week and then next week uh, we're going to be finishing up. God shows up next week, so I'll be back here for that. I mean, well, I mean, he shows up. i got to explain that a little bit. So he's going to show up in Job, okay, but he's also going to show up here, but not necessarily in person because it kind of wipe out everything that we have here. So uh, anyways, come back for that. We've been, um, we're going to then go into a couple week series called My City, My Responsibility. And uh, just be reminded again about our uh, responsibility, our, really our privilege of bringing the gospel to those in our lives who need Christ. So as we're kind of thinking down the road, that's what we're going to be shooting for um, in the next several weeks. But in this series, we've uh, looked at the idea of how do we respond to suffering. We talked about that. We talked about how do we help somebody else go through suffering. And today we want to look at is, answer the question really, what good is there in suffering? Now the Bible talks about a lot of different things that it's good for us to go through suffering. We're going to look at just a couple. Um, no one really wants to go through suffering, right? We'd rather just have kind of a nice, chill life, but we all go through suffering. We're all going to experience suffering at one level or another. And Job gives us two good things that suffering will do for us. And so the first one is suffering can motivate us to reevaluate our lives. And it can also help us realize we need a mediator. So we're going to look at those two things today. Um, so how does suffering motivate us to reevaluate our lives? Well, it's kind of a little bit of a, um, a recap. We know as Christians, and we've talked about it here in this, uh, in this series, we know that uh, we know some things about God, we know some things about suffering, right? So what we know, one, is that God does bless when we do life His way, and He does um, allow some sort of suffering, some level of suffering when we don't do life his, his way. It's kind of a, a general biblical truth as we've written up in here, we talked about in the last several weeks. But it's important to understand it's not a hard and fast rule. It's not a mathematical equation. Do good, get things. Do bad, lose things. It's not a, a mathematical equation. God's not obligated to operate that way. It's a general biblical truth in our lives that if we do life God's way, there's going to be some blessing wrapped up with that. Now, it's not necessarily going to be some financial gain, some material gain, even though some teach that, but it's really going to be something that is in, in us. It's going to be um, emotional blessing or a relational blessing, a spiritual growth type of blessing. And the suffering, typically, though God, we'll talk about the fact that God disciplines in here in a bit, but typically, the way the suffering happens is, God says, well, if you want to do life your way, then I'm going to let you experience the, the natural consequences of doing life your way. I've told the story numerous times, because um, I, I just like this one. I, I have other stories about my kids that I could tell, but I, I love the story of Hagen, who loved to slam the door, and I told him, you keep doing that, you're going to slam your finger in the door. So he kept doing it. I, I stepped back, and you want to do life your way, man. Have at it. Slammed his finger in the door. 
And since then, unless he was mad, he never slammed a door again. I mean, he literally, he sit there when he was a kid, just slam, open up, slam. I just fixed that door. Why do you keep doing that? So God says, okay, I'm going to let you have the natural consequences of your sin. The other thing we know is the fact that God does discipline his children when they sin. We see this throughout Scripture. So in uh, Deuteronomy, as Israel is um, about ready to go into the land, God reminds them some things. He says, thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord, your God, was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Again, he disciplines us so that we do that, so we do life his way. In Proverbs, it says, for, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves or disciplines and even as a father, he corrects the son in whom he delights. And you go to the next one, Greg, but just real quick. Uh, I didn't mention this. I was going to mention it at the beginning. I forgot. We're going to be going through a bunch of different uh, verses today. So I would encourage you to just jot those things down, those verses down. Spend time this week going through them because uh, I'm not going to be getting into a whole lot of detail here, just pointing out some things. But And again, I hope you guys do that during the week. I hope it's not just a Sunday thing where you come hear my melodious tones and uh, then walk out and forget what we've talked about, but taking God's Word with you uh, through the week. Then the, the author of Hebrews picks up on Proverbs 3.12 and then adds this in. He says, For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as, some, or as seemed best to them, but He, God, disciplines us for our good so that we might share in His holiness. And it's kind of a cool thing there, that idea that we can share in God's holiness. And how does that happen? Well, we don't become God, because we would be terrible at that. But when we do life God's way, when, when we respond to people the way He wants us to respond, Paul talks about the fact that we can imitate God. And when we love like Christ, that's us participating in His holiness and responding to people like God. So, the answer to the, to the question, the first answer is, Knowing this, so how, can, how does this help us evaluate? Well, knowing this, knowing that uh, there's this general principle that God blesses when we do well and that He allows suffering when we do wrong, and the fact that God does discipline us when we sin, one of the good things that comes out of this as we, as we read Job and what he's, how, what he's doing is he's reevaluating his life. And so we as Christians can take that for us and say, okay, well, maybe I need to reevaluate my life. Maybe I need to look at my life and say, okay, is there anything going on in my life that God doesn't want me doing? And for Job, we, we understand the biblical truth here, the general principle. Job and his friends, they thought it was a hard and fast rule, which really made Job uh, be motivated to, to find out, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Because he really believed that God blessed when you did right and suffered, caused, caused suffering when we did, he did wrong. And so as we evaluate our lives, this should be happening on a regular basis anyways, but if, especially if you're going through a difficult time, you know, just take some time, reevaluate what's going on. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Job did this in chapter 7 and 13. I just combined them here. He says, have I sinned? So he's talking to God. Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target? He feels like God's got a you know, target on him. 
Uh, I think I can say this. Uh, Bill and his son Randy went out and uh, were celebrating America yesterday. Was that a 50 cal that he shot? So Randy, he took video of Randy shooting a 50 cal. <laughs> 50 caliber rifle, for those that didn't know. I just got to... Uh, how's his shoulder this morning? Is it good? Is it okay? Because he walked away going... You know. um, so it was just kind of funny. But, you know, so Joe felt like he had this target on his back, right? How many are my iniquities and my sins make known to me my rebellion and my sin? David, King David, he called out to God and said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the the everlasting way. In other words, any hurt, you know, hurtful way of me, any sin, then help me do life your way. And here's the cool thing about God. That He promises that if we do find sin in our lives, that we can confess it, and He's going to forgive us. First John 1.9. If you've been around church any length of time, this should be a fairly familiar one to you, I hope. If not, mark this one down, because it's a, it's a good one. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess there has this idea of uh, agreeing with God. When we confess something, we agree with God. And when it comes to our sin, we're agreeing that whatever the thing is that we've done, we agree with Him. It's wrong. Whether it's a thought or a response, and we say, God, I know that's wrong. It also carries the idea that we don't continue doing it. Right? We say, Lord, I'm sorry, that was wrong. And then we do whatever we need to do in order to not do that thing again. Now, this has um, impact in both uh, a believer's life and a non-believer's life. A person who's placed their faith in Christ and someone who's not. A person who hasn't placed their their faith in Christ, uh, we'd say a non-believer, the way this impacts your life is this. We're all sinners, and we've all done things wrong. And so when we confess that sin to Him, when we say, God, please forgive me of my sin. What that does is it allows God then to forgive us of our sin and make us right with Him. And we we place our faith in Christ and say, okay, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And at that point, at that moment in time, in a spiritual way, God forgives our sin. He, the Bible says, adopts us into His family. That The Holy Spirit comes into our life and and He makes us right with God. For the Christian, the way this verse works is this, that it, it helps us keep our relationship right with God. Now, when we sin, it doesn't mean we've, we've lost our salvation. But what sin does, and especially unconfessed sin, what it does is it, it begins to kind of put a wedge between us and God. It, it starts making us feel like, man, I, I really feel like God's not around. I don't, I don't feel a intimacy with God anymore. I don't feel... A, you know, the way I used to, I feel there's something between us. Well, there is. It's unconfessed sin. And if, if we as Christians then confess that sin, then that, there's forgiveness there. And it reorders the relationship. Relationship's always been there, but it could be better. It could be more intimate. Well, after his evaluation, Job doesn't see any unconfessed sin in his life. He, he's... He's thinking about it, he's working through it, he's asking, and he's like, you know, I just don't see anything. In fact, he phrases this a few times. One's in Job 23, he says, my, again, now if you remember, this is poetry, right? We 
talked about this last week, so this is a, a little bit more flowery than maybe we would talk, but it's, it's poetry, trying to get at the emotion of the situation. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Later on in chapter 27, he says, For as long as life is in me, now he's, he's talking to his friends at this point, and the breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit. Far be it from me that I should declare to you, talk to his friends, that you're right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness, and I will not let it go. My heart does not reproach any of my days. And then in Job 31, at the beginning um, of that chapter, he says, If I have walked with falsehood, and if my foot has hastened after deceit, let him weigh me with accurate scales, and let God know my integrity. And what he's saying is, let God check me out, and, and I'm going to tell you, he's going to see that I have integrity. He's going to tell you that I have integrity. What's cool about this chapter is, this is at the beginning, the rest of the chapter he goes to, and of course you know this because you're reading through Job, right? So you're all going, oh yeah, yeah, Harold, we know this, so let me review. So he goes through that chapter, and he's kind of like, see, did I commit this sin? Nope, didn't do that. Did I commit this? Nope, didn't do that. Maybe it's this sin. Nope, didn't. And he goes through, and he's basically saying, I didn't do any of these things that I could have potentially done. So why the suffering? We have to come back next week. Because we're going to answer that next week when God shows up and, and gives the answer. But for now, we want to move on to Job's suffering and how that, this then gives us a second good thing that we can allow suffering to do in our lives. And that is, help us realize that we need a mediator. Job says that no one is right with God. He says it in, in Job chapter 9, verse 2. But how can a man be in the right before God? And then Paul, he also picks this up in Romans 3. He says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And then he a few verses later says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one, without God's help, no one standing on their own is right with God. It's impossible because of who we are. And so we need a mediator. Now here's the interesting thing. Job was his own mediator. Now if you remember back in chapter 1, Job was the one who offered sacrifices on behalf of his family and for himself. So back in the Old Testament, in that um, religious system that God had developed there and also then kind of expanded uh, with Israel and the law of Moses and what we know a little bit more about, there was this idea that God had placed there for them, and he did it for a reason, which I'll explain here in a little bit. But the idea was that if a, a person, in this case Job, would represent his family, would be the one who's representing the mediator, and he would provide the sacrifices. And the idea there was, and again with Israel, that the animal sacrifice would replace, would be, take the place of the, the, the human being. And so they would, they would kill an animal, and then that blood that was shed is to cover the sin for that next year, 
for the person or the people that the sacrifice was for. Now the reason for this was a number of different things, and I don't want to get into the weeds here too much, but basically it's talking about the seriousness of sin. See, we don't think sin is that big of a deal, but God does. Okay, so he's saying, listen, sin, someone's got to die for that, for that sin. It's a serious business. And as humans, if that sin isn't removed, that judgment is not just human death, physical death, but as eternal death. Separation from God in a place really designed for Satan and his demons in a place that Scripture calls hell. But God wants us to know that this is a serious business. The, the other cool thing was is that, and if you read through the Old Testament and study it out, he's actually pointing towards the future for Israel. That there was going to come somebody who's going to rectify the situation, who is going to make man right with God. Now we know today that that was Jesus Christ. So in Hebrews chapter 9, it says this, and according to the law, again talking about that animal sacrifice type of thing that God put into place, again it was a tutor, it was teaching us some things, one may also almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes a judgment, so Christ also, God the, God the Son in human flesh, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear, now he's talking about the future, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Those who eagerly await him are those who have placed their faith in him. So Jesus did that work. See, Job understood that Really, animals couldn't take the place of man's sin. And without God's help, no man, including someone as good as Job, because remember, God even said he's a blameless man in that sense. But no one, even as good as him, can be right with God. Man needs a mediator. Job uses three different words to express this. Uh, The English draws out the first one as umpire. So that one I thought was kind of interesting. Um, using, you know, when you think about an umpire, baseball, uh, the guy who calls balls and strikes, makes a decision whether the ball is in the strike zone or not, or the guy at the base calling somebody, you know, you're safe or you're out, making a decision. And so he's basically saying, I need somebody to come in here and make a decision between God and me. Who's right, me or God? Somebody help out. And then he talks about, we talked about this last week, he, he says that he knows that his Redeemer my Redeemer will one day stand before God on my behalf. This idea of somebody taking his place before God, and he, he had this understanding. And then he uses the word mediator. And the mediator is just one who's going to come in and kind of work through things. So, God, I need somebody who's going to kind of work through things between you and me. So 2,000 years, roughly, a little over maybe, 2,000 years before Jesus shows up on this earth, Job has an understanding. We don't know how much he understood, but he has an understanding that at some point in the future, God was going to send somebody who was going to stand before God on his behalf. Isn't that cool? 
And he, he actually, even though he was frustrated when he said it, you could, you could feel that hope that was there that, man, this was going to be somebody who's going to be my redeemer, my mediator. So let me tie some things together here. Taking Job, what Job said, and then taking what Paul says in 1 Timothy. Now, the context here is, since it's election season, this is good context. So Paul has just got done telling the church at Ephesus, hey, be praying for your, uh, basically your government officials. All right? And be praying also for peace. Boy, does that not fit our time today, right? So we need to be, as Christians, praying for our government officials. We need to be praying for the election. We need to be praying for peace. And then he goes on and says this, what we just got done talking about, is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Why? He's the one who desires all men to be saved, including our government officials. Do you, do you guys pray for the salvation of our government officials? Man, we need to be. You know, the, I, I pray for our um, first responders and our um, administration. We live in Oregon, so I pray for them. And we have our church here in Northwood, so I pray for them. But I also pray for their salvation, for the people that are involved. So he, pray, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, look at that, and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, God the Son put on human flesh, the one God-man who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Here's the truth. We not only need a mediator, we have a mediator. And the mediator is Jesus Christ. Now, this has impact for us as believers, and it has impact for us as those who are unbelievers. For the believer, um, he's our mediator today. As, as we sit here, and as we go through this life, Jesus Christ is standing before God today as our mediator. He's representing us. We can know that He's got our backs. Hebrews 7 says this, the former priests, again talking about the Old Testament law, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing, but, but Jesus, on the other hand, because He continues forever, because He's God, holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He since he always lives to make intercession, again, mediator, priest, you could even put mediator, make intercession for them, for us. Again, the Old Testament system that God put into place was not to be a permanent system. That's where the Jews really struggled. They didn't understand that it was going to be something that went away when Jesus came. And it wasn't permanent, and it never... Uh, it allowed God to look over sin, but not truly forgive sin. And it was only when Jesus Christ came that that sin was then able to be removed, to truly be forgiven. And so Jesus dies on the cross. He only had to do it once because He's God. And He dies on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And now, for those of us who have placed our faith in Him, He stands before God forever. Here's something cool. Revelation chapter 12. I've been using the word cool a lot today. I'm not sure why. Uh, Revelation, here's something really groovy. <laughs> uh, Revelation 12. So you remember chapter 1, Satan shows up in the presence of God, and they have this little debate, a little conversation, and God says, hey, have you checked out Job? 
you know, Job goes in there and you know, later on he kind of accuses Job of being really selfish, basically. Let me take his life that way. Um, we'll see if he really um, follows you or not. Evidently, Satan does this all the time. Not just with Job. Look at this. So this is in Revelation. This is in our future. John is seeing down past our future. He says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren, that's Satan. So Satan accuses those who have placed their faith in Christ. Has been thrown down. He's been defeated. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, those who have placed their faith in Christ, because of the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' death. Now, Old Testament, there's a bunch of different sacrifices, but one was a, the sacrificing of a perfect lamb. Well, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Why? Because He's God, He's perfect, so He can die an eternal death, and He can rise from the dead, and He's man, perfect man, so He can die on behalf of men. He's not, he's not a, a lamb, He's a man. And because of the word of their testimony, which is a person's declaration of faith in Jesus, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. But the question is, what about you here who've never placed your faith in Christ? How does this impact your life? Well, Jesus is offering to be your mediator. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, He's already our mediator. Those who haven't, He's offering to be your mediator. So how does this tie in with suffering and all that kind of stuff? Well, I came to the Lord when I was a little kid. Uh, so I don't really remember what life was like prior to me coming to Christ. Other than I knew I was pretty much perfect. Um, didn't really do anything wrong ever, you know. Um, but I, I've talked to people who have come to Christ later on in life. And I, I would say that every person has told me that inside of them, whether their life looked good or not, inside of them, in their heart, in their minds, as they, as they thought about things when they're by themselves, you know, laying in, in bed at night, you know, whatever, when they're by themselves, they were suffering with this thought that they knew that they weren't right with God. Something was not right. They didn't really know if they had a relationship with God. And even more than that, they knew that if they were to die, they wouldn't know where they would spend eternity. And so there's that sense of suffering that goes on inside of a person, whether we see it or not. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, who are in that position, in that situation, experiencing that suffering, I want to be your mediator. I'm the only one who can be your mediator. I'm the only God-man who's able to die and take your eternal suffering on myself. And Jesus did that. We read that He's our ransom. He's paid the bail. He's paid the price when He died on the cross. So what's the takeaway from this morning? Um, every week we do some takeaways, some specific application that we can put to our lives. And as the band comes up, and they're going to close us out this morning, let me just uh, offer a couple takeaways. First one is, if you're here this morning and, and you've not placed your faith in Christ, or if you're listening on the podcast, or if you're listening on Facebook, um, 
and you've not placed your faith in Christ, then your takeaway this morning and what I'm encouraging you to do, asking you to do, begging you to do, Paul says that we should be you know, begging people to come to Christ, is that let Jesus be your mediator. Let Jesus do the work of making you right with God. And how does that happen? Well, around here we say it's as easy as the ABCs. Let's keep things simple. I'm not a complicated man. You guys already know that. So A means to admit. Admit that you're a sinner. We all are. Admit that you're separated from God. And ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And B is to believe. To pull your, put your full weight of trust on that God says, hey, Jesus died for that sin. He, he took your death. He took your eternal death. And He rose again to free you from your sin and to take you to heaven one day. And you say, God, you confess it. That's what the C is. is confessing. It's having a conversation with God. It's verbalizing just what's in your heart to God saying, I know I'm a sinner. Will you please forgive me of my sin? And I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. And during the song, if, if that's a thing that you need to do, I would encourage you to do that. Again, you don't need me to lead you. You go to God on your own. But if you have questions about it, I'll be in the back. Feel free to come back and, and talk with me or catch me after the service. And if you're a believer here this morning, I would just encourage you during this time to, to ask God, Lord, is there any area in my life that's not fully given over to you? Is there any unconfessed sin in my life that I need to, to do business with with you? And as, as you're thinking through things, kind of like what Joe was doing, you know, check mark, check mark, check mark. Oops. Oh no, there's that one. There's that one attitude that keeps on showing up, right? Lord, forgive me for that. Give me the strength. Give me the understanding. Give me the wisdom to move forward and to not commit that again. During the song, you guys do business. If you have any questions, like I said, I'll be in the back. I'm going to hand it off to Dave. Dave?